360 degrees. High high, 360 degrees. High high, 306, 306, 360 degrees. High high. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by members of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program, coming at you from our home studios in Antioch and broadcasting from right here at KPFA in Huchin, occupied Ohlone territory, a.k.a. Berkeley. This evening, we share with you another collective experience dealing with the global pandemic, COVID-19 as we head into our sixth week of Shelter in Place. On tonight's show, we check in with apprentices Kenny C. and Theodora for an update on their current situations. We will also get an update from Maria, a cook at a local restaurant, who, being undocumented, has been left out of most government aid. Later, we'll get an update on the situation in Yemen from our friends at the Yemeni Alliance Committee and an update from Palestine, from Ziad Abbas of the Middle East Children's Alliance. All that coming up tonight on Full Circle. I am your host, sheltered in place, Freewell and Franklin. Keep it locked to Full Circle right here on 94.1 KPFA. Again, welcome to Full Circle. And before we get into our show tonight, we want to give a big shout out and prayers up for Bay Area filmmaker and friend to the show, Kevin Epps, who is currently fighting COVID-19. Also to Democracy Now!'s Juan Gonzalez and his family, who recently pulled through a close call with the virus. Three weeks ago, we brought you our first show dealing with the COVID-19 crisis, one of the people that shared her story was graduate apprentice Kenny C. Kenny C. worked in the Bay Area bar scene and was working three jobs to make ends meet before the crisis. When we last heard from her, she was weighing the options of going to work to earn a paycheck at the potential cost of her own health. Let's check in with Kenny C. and see how she's dealing with her current situation. What's up, everybody? This is Kenny C checking in for Full Circle, and I am just about to embark on my first route of the day. It's a beautiful morning in the bay, so let's get to it. And let's see, where am I going? All right, 15 minutes, send message. And let's go. Wow, beautiful morning out here. All right, looks like we're right about there. Make a right. And oh, there he is. Morning, sir. How you doing? 
not too bad. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So you're paying with cash today? Lovely. All right. Let me just count this real quick. All right. Looks like you're all good. And here you go. Enjoy your day. Wow, this is a nice neighborhood. All right, let's go on to the next. What do we got? Fruit fail. All right, onwards and upwards. Here we go. Well, flowers are blooming and everything. Beautiful day in the bay, y'all. Um, to the residence so I am gonna put gloves on for this one uh, which they do supply for me which is really nice they actually also give me a bottle of hand sanitizer to keep in my car and paper towels which I can't find anywhere else so that's a blessing and the last thing I'm gonna do is put on my mask which my sister hand sewed for me, so that always makes me feel really happy when I put that on. And it looks like they're paying with card today, so I'm just gonna grab these POS machines and the product and the order form. And I'll be right back. haven't gathered already I am driving delivery for a local cannabis company um, located just a few blocks from where I live which is really nice I uh, weighed the pros and cons and um, ultimately I have to work to make ends meet at this moment otherwise I'm gonna lose my housing um, I'm not gonna be able to eat and Honestly, that's just not an option right now. I am still fighting with everything I've got for my unemployment. I still have not received a stimulus check. Every time I check in the mail and find nothing, it sounds like this. Oh man. Every time I do get something in the mail from EDD, it sounds like this. Okay, let's see what it is this time. 
Cannot verify identity. <gasps> and so I feel healthy. I feel relatively safe in this position. You know, I'm in my car most of the day. I get to listen to my own music, which is great. Smoke my cigarettes. Most folks are pretty nice. I mean, everyone's happy to see the person that's delivering their pot for the most part. So I have no qualms about that. I make a few cash tips on the side, which is really nice. And honestly, I get to see parts of the bay that I wouldn't normally ever get to see. Uh, some good, some not so good. But in any case, it's nice to get out there to kind of get a feel for what's going on right now in the neighborhoods. I've only felt put in danger one or two times so far, and I am afforded the luxury, really, of canceling any order if I feel unsafe. This particular situation had happened just two days into my position, and basically I was sent down to a quarantine site by the airport, and there were no notes that had conveyed that. Um, I didn't even know that there were quarantine sites down by the airport. And yeah, I mean, I kind of had to navigate that situation for what it was and as it came. All in all, I'm really grateful to have a job that is relatively safe in this pretty scary time. Like many people, I'm continually frustrated with what I hear on the news and what's coming out of our supposed leader's mouth. And I'm frustrated with a lot of the situations that our communities are finding ourselves in. But I am hopeful that when we come out of this, if we do, we will hopefully be more conscious humans and hopefully we can all learn how to just be with ourselves without all the chaos all the time. That's something that I'm especially grateful for. I realize now that the pace I was carrying on at before is definitely not sustainable and that there are other ways of living and making space for ourselves. So my hope is that all of you are finding creative ways to make space for yourselves and your communities in this world. And again, if anybody needs anything at all, please reach out. I love you all. Please be well. Until next time, this is Kenny C for Full Circle. Yee! Welcome back. This is Full Circle right here on 94.1 KPFA. And that was the voice of graduate apprentice Kenny C. Thank you for that update into your current situation. As you heard Kenny C. talk about realizing the fact that the pace in which she was pushing herself before the crisis, in fact, was unsustainable. We live out here in the Bay Area where people need to work three jobs just to eke out a living. And that's not healthy for us. Again, thank you, Kenny C. Please stay safe out there, and we all look forward to seeing you in person in the near future. If you would like to reach out to Kenny C., you can send an email to fullcircle at kpfa.org. Just add attention Kenny C. in the subject line. Now, let's get an update from one of our guests from our first COVID-19 show, Maria. Maria, you may remember, happens to be undocumented. She traveled here from Mexico about 20 years ago with her children, 
and has been working as a cook for the past 15 years. The restaurant she worked at shut down completely for the duration of the crisis, and she and her two housemates have been forced to find new ways to earn an income. Let's check in on Maria's current situation. Greetings, Maria. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm hanging in there. Me too. Last time we talked, it had been just over one week since the statewide shelter in place and your job was shut down and you were suddenly unemployed. Also, the yeah. two people living with you at your house had also suddenly become unemployed. Now, yeah. now it's been over a month. So I wanted to check in and see how you're doing. And have you been able to find some other source of income? No, well, I've been doing a couple little desserts at my house, been selling by, been calling people. I have these and these. So and you've been you've been cooking yeah. desserts and selling them to your friends. Yeah, and tacos and a couple things like like something at least for meals. So that's what you've been doing to earn an income now, is you've cooked some meals at home and sell them to your friends. Yeah, I just started like a like a two weeks ago. And how's that yeah. been working out for you? Well, it was a good day. The first day I sell everything and I, I say I, I have some my bills for at least PE because it's a lot of money now because we are in the house all day. <laughs> Everything's running. Yes. How do you feel about having to kind of like risk your own health and go out to yeah. in order to earn this income? How does that make you feel? So me, I feel like uh, I don't want to go, but I have to. I have to do something. I don't want to go nowhere, but there's no money come from nowhere. So I had to look for things to, to do my stuff for sale and try to find like a things to be cleaning with bleach and stuff like that. Cause I'm afraid my mom is here right now. So especially because she's here and I've been cooking for some people. I like to have a lot of cleaning supplies, like with disinfecting and stuff like that. Again, the last time we talked, you weren't actually clear on what was happening with your rent and your landlord. Recently, since we talked, the city of Antioch, where we live, has enacted what they're calling a citywide urgency ordinance. This puts a temporary moratorium on evictions and also yeah. puts a 90-day grace period on all rents due during the extent of the crisis. Have you been able to pay your rent? No. How about have you come to an agreement with your landlord? They say they're going to wait for us for a month, but we haven't talked to them again because it's no money coming from nowhere. So it's going to be hard to be in control everything after this happened or until we start working. It's going to be hard. I've just been thinking I can sleep. <laughs> You're having a little trouble sleeping? Yes, because i just thinking how I'm going to do it. It's, it's not going to be money coming from to pay this month and we have to pay. It's not like they're going to let you live without pay for one or two months. No, we have to. They give me time to pay, but I, we have to pay. Okay, and we should double check because the city of Antioch passed an ordinance that says mm -hmm. you have three months to pay. Yeah. And they can't do anything about it and they can't charge late fees. Well, let me move on. Let me check in on what have you been doing to maintain food? Have you had enough money to eat and feed your family? Yeah, we have enough right now for to eat. Yeah. My friends, people, they give me a little help, and it, it was big help. Thanks to them. They think about me. It made me feel like giving thanks to them because it was nice. So people and your friends are um, thinking about yeah. you and helping out. 
Yes, and the, it was a big help for me. It was like, made me cry, yes, to think about it. <laughs> but it was nice to do that to me, yeah. Okay, so you said that you've been making tacos, desserts, trying to sell them to your friends and trying to yeah. have income like that. Have you been able I, to pay your bills that way? Uh, I paid my PG&E because it was like $200 PG&E and my, my water is a, li- uh, is a little behind. I got two months already to pay in garbage. That's why I want to do something this Saturday to pay at least garbage and at least have that and, and control. And then when we start to work, start paying money for, for the rent. Well, since the last time we talked, I don't know if you've heard, but the California governor, Gavin Newsom, has created a disaster relief fund for mm-hmm. refugees and immigrants. And this is including undocumented immigrants. And it actually may be enough in there to give families 500 or maybe $1,000 of financial assistance to undocumented immigrants. Have you heard of this or have you heard of any way to connect with these resources? No. Yeah, somebody told me already and then I just find out, but I don't know if it's true or no. It would be nice if we have a little help like that. And what are your plans for the next couple of weeks? Because it looks like we're still going to be sheltered at home. Your job downtown has not opened yet. Do you have a plan or an idea of what you're going to do for the next couple of weeks to keep food on the table to get the rest of the bills paid? Well, we're going to eat beans or whatever we get. We got here Este, if we don't have money to buy. But I'm going to try to be selling if I can sell in a little money. We don't need too much to eat. The more uh, hard is the meals and the rent, but to eat, we, we can eat whatever. We don't have to eat meat. It's beans, rice, soups, stuff like that. And I heard you got a good soup on the stove right now. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I have a soup in the stove right now to eat. I'm happy because my mom is with me right now because uh, she's too old and too tired and, and yeah. no way to go to Mexico to visit her and... I feeling like uh, I don't want, I'm not going to see my mom for too long. And it's kind of hard just to think about it. I lost already two parts of my heart, my family, and just to think, think to lose my mom is, is, is hard. And don't see her like myself and my dad. Well, I'm so glad that your mom's here to visit with you right now and that you actually get to take the time to take care of her and make her dinners yes. and be with her. I hope I can go back and forth, yes, to take care of her the way she deserves. Well, that's good to hear. I'm glad that that's happening, at least for this moment. In all this turmoil, yeah. at least you got your mom with you. Yeah, she's, feel, she's feeling happy and spoiled here. <laughs> yeah, because I'm here right now. I'm not working, so I have all my time for her. That's that's a blessing in disguise, I guess. It is, it is. All right, Maria. Well, we're glad that you gave us this update. We hope that things work out for you. Um, we enjoyed the tacos, so I look yes. forward to some more. And okay. um, thanks for checking in with us, and take care out there. Yeah, thank you, Frank. Thank you for your family, too, because this is a blessing to have you guys for, for our friends. It's a blessing to have you, too. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. All right, well, we'll talk soon. Okay, see you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Hey, welcome back to Full Circle right here on 94.1 FM, KPFA. That voice you just heard was that of Maria, an undocumented restaurant worker 
that is thinking of creative ways to earn some income. And really, I'm hearing a lot in that interview and how being an undocumented person can make everyday struggles that much more difficult. For instance, most Americans are struggling to pay bills and rent at this time, but many of them may be receiving unemployment. At the same time, they may be collecting a stimulus check. Those two things are not available to Maria. And something a little closer to the heart. As Maria's mother eventually returns to Mexico to spend her final days, Maria will be unable to visit her, to take care of her the way she says her mother deserves. And when the day comes that her mom passes, she may be unable to be a part of the services. For if she travels back to Mexico, she would not be able to return to her children and the life she has created for them here in the United States. That's something to think about. Okay, we're going to take a short break, and when we return, we'll get an update on the situation in Yemen, where even during a worldwide pandemic, the bombs are still dropping. Global controls will have to be imposed, and a world-governing body will be created to enforce them. Crises precipitate change. Devise a virus to bring dire straits to your environment. Crush your corporations with a mild touch. Trash your whole computer system and revert you to papyrus. I wanna devise a virus to bring dire straits to your environment. Crush your corporations with a mild touch. Trash your whole computer system and revert you to papyrus. I have already planned. is programmed into every one of my thousand robots. We will not hesitate. We will destroy the Homo sapiens. Break right through they terminals, burn them all, slaves of silicon, corrupt politicians with leaders and their keywords. FBI and spies stealing bombs, precipitate their plans and they face and catch the fever. Everybody loot the stores, get your canned goods, even space stations are having a hard time. Peacekeepers seek to take our manhood, which results in the form of global apartheid. Ghettos are trash dumps with gas pumps, exploded and burnt out since before the Great Union. The last punks walk around like mass monks, ready to manipulate the database or break through them. Human rights come in a hundredth place. Mass production has always been number one. New Earth has become a repugnant place, so it's time to spread the fear that's fun to some. How long have we tried to extend our glorious empire out to the stars? Welcome back. This is Full Circle on KPFA. That song you just heard was Virus by Dale the Funky Homo Sapien from Deltron 3030. Now I want to take a step away from us here at home and turn our attention to Yemen. Yemen has been facing an ongoing crisis in many forms 
since the coalition, led by Saudi Arabia and backed by the United States and the United Arab Emirates, has started a bombing campaign in 2015. Since then, Yemen has seen death and destruction in the form of destroyed infrastructure, mass starvation, and nearly 4 million internally displaced people. In a country of approximately 24 million people, 14 million are suffering from starvation, and in fact, up to 85,000 children have starved to death in Yemen since 2016. And the terrible tragedy is that this is not some form of natural disaster. This is a man-made disaster, and the United States has a big hand in it. Yesterday, I spoke with Hussam Falah. Hussam is a Yemeni-American and a community activist and organizer. He's co-chair of the Yemeni Alliance Committee and Yemeni Freedom Council in the Bay Area. He gave us this update. Let's take a listen. Greetings, Hassam. How are you doing today? Good, good. How are you doing, Frank? Hanging in there. Um, like we said, I'm just kind of isolating, doing my thing at the house and uh, reaching out to you so we can get some renewed awareness on the situation out there in Yemen. This has been about a six-year history, which started out as this, this civil uprising against an oppressive regime in 2015. But like we have heard, it has quickly turned basically into a devastating air assault led by Saudi Arabia. Along with the aerial bombardment, there has been a naval blockade of the main ports in Yemen, which has basically led to the worst humanitarian crisis and mass starvation on the planet right now. And in fact, nearly half the population of 28 million are basically on the edge of starvation. So can you give us some of the numbers of what's happening there so it can really bring it home for the listeners? It seems the numbers are pretty astronomical. It's very hard for me to share statistics uh, because when we look at the death toll, it's important to remember that there are uh, not just numbers. These are people who had lives family, dreams, and goals, and far too many. Um, their lives were cut short for no good reason at all. Yemen has a population of over 28 million uh, people, similar to the population of Venezuela since the start of the war. Five years ago, last month, the Saudi-led coalition has dropped tens of thousands of bombs on Yemen. It's estimated that over one-third of airstrikes have hit civilian targets, including markets, schools, weddings, hospitals, and economic, uh, agricultural, um, and infrastructure, and that the UAE-led coalition is responsible for two-thirds of all civilian deaths war crimes supported by the uh, U.S. and other global partners. The U.N. estimates that 80% of the population is in need of some form of humanitarian uh, assistance. 17 million Yemenis are, are food insecure. Over 2 million are internally displaced. Over 14 million do not have access to clean drinking water. This has brought 
on fetal diseases, such as cholera, an estimated 2.4 million Yemenis have been infected with the cholera. This is especially alarming since Yemen has reported one case of COVID. But without water and soup, how can Yemen prevent the spread? It's, it's devastating. The Yemen Data Project has found that more than 18,000 Saudi air raids have been carried out in Yemen with almost one-third of all bombing missions striking non-military sites. Non-military sites could mean bombing hospitals, weddings, school buses, war crimes that the U.S. continues to support. Do you feel like this has become more of a battle between Saudi Arabia and the UAE and Iran? Does it seem like it's just transformed into that, or is it still a popular uprising from from people on the ground. We often hear Iran back to Houthis, Iran aligned to Houthis. I think this has been the most completed talk in peace from our previous and current ad- administration. The Trump administration is allowing Saudi Arabia's ra- rivalry with Iran to decatate its policy in the region. And it it comes at the cost of innocent lives of, of Yemenis. Iranians are not training Yemenis in Yemen. They are not bombing Saudi UAE on behalf of the Houthis. Iran is over 1,000 miles away from Yemen. That argument doesn't have leaks from what reports can tell. The most effective support Houthis received from Iran is mostly with the media. Houthi's channel Al Masira is broadcasted from Lebanon um, with the assistance from Hezbollah. And with regard to the uh, alleged military or armed support that Iran gives to the Houthis, this would be very difficult given that Yemen has been under land, air, and sea blockade since 2015. Imposed by Saudi Arabia and supported by the U.S. Navy. Incoming and outgoing goods would be very hard to get through. The U.S. is banning and bombing the poorest country in the Arab world, all for the sake of money. Can you talk about the the role the United States has played? What forms of support is the United States giving the Saudi regime? Since March of 2015, under Obama, the U.S. backed and supported the Saudi-led coalition and its war in Yemen by providing Saudi Arabia with intelligence sharing, targeting assistance, and, and logistical support. American engineers are repairing Saudi uh, warplanes, uh, mid-air refu- refueling uh, that allegedly stopped recently, and armed sales from companies such as Lockheed Martin and um, Raytheon, uh, Boeing, and General uh, Dynamic. Sorry. So when these bombs yeah, sorry, are when uh, these bombs are dropping, these are U.S. bombs and munitions that are killing Yemeni people. Yes. Yes. Definitely. And what is U.S. motivation? What What's the U.S. motivation? That's a question. What is it? Money, interests. Um, the U.S. is is the top arms exporter, and. Saudi Arabia 
is the top arms buyer. Hundreds of billions of weapon sales, hundreds of contracts with the kingdom. So let's let's say that one more time. So the U.S. is the top weapons seller um, of sales, and Saudi Arabia is the top purchaser of those weapons. Buyer. Wow. Yes. Well, let's move on because we we're, <laughs> we only have a few more minutes here. All this bombing, you know, this mass killing, this starvation. We never really hear hear about like the actual people who are suffering on the ground. So, tell us who is actually the one bearing the brunt of all this military activity. Because I know it's not um, my president here in the United States. I know it's not the crown prince that's actually bearing the brunt of all this. So, who is actually suffering here? It's very simple, as with any forms of oppression in any region or community the poor and the voice look and that's where the bombs are dropping that's where the actual yes. impacts are felt well let's move on a little yes. bit because i want to have time to talk about what's going to happen and how people are going to prepare if the uh, covid 19 gets there we got all these weapons this tremendous devastation across yemen the infrastructure has been virtually wiped out talk about what you're learning about COVID-19 hitting Yemen and what we are preparing for in terms of positive cases, critical care. You know, what's going to happen if there's a large outbreak of the virus there? What the COVID and cuts to aid will now mean to Yemen is a death sentence. Yemen is not in a position to face COVID. Uh, more than half of Yemen's hospitals and clinics have been destroyed or closed since the war started. Plus, a lack to clean water makes Yemen very high risk. Yemen's medical sector has been destroyed. When we say Yemen can't wait, it's because it really cannot wait. The war must end now. Before I let you go, Hussam, what would you just like to say to people listening about what's happening in Yemen? As I said, um, just, just follow the right media. And, and figure it out yourself. We, we know what's going on. So just make sure you, you follow the right media and just help the humanitarian crisis going on in Yemen and anywhere. I'm not just talking about Yemen, anywhere in the world. We have to always raise awareness and, 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 and help each other out to, to, to stop genocide. All right, thank you. That's the voice of Hussam Pala of the Yemeni Alliance Committee. We really appreciate the work that you do, and we appreciate um, you speaking with us tonight on Full Circle and bringing some awareness to this this unknown war, what's going on over there. Thank you very much. Thank you, Frank. Thanks. Welcome back. This is Full Circle right here on 94.1 FM KPFA. And again, that was the voice of Hussam Falah of the Yemeni Alliance Committee. The Yemeni Alliance Committee is a social, political, nonpartisan, volunteer-run organization founded by Yemeni Americans. Through their advocacy and organizing, they challenge the harmful national security and foreign policy that impacts Yemeni Americans and their families in Yemen. The best way to stay in touch with the Yemeni Alliance Committee is to follow them on Facebook and other social media. 
we will have a link to all their accounts on our website, kpfaapprentice.org. Now let's continue with the world news as we travel next to the Gaza Strip. Palestine, like Yemen, has been devastated by an occupying force and has had most of their infrastructure destroyed by aerial bombardment. As a consequence, their medical system is not prepared for an outbreak of COVID-19. Let's get an update from Ziad Abbas of the Middle East Children's Alliance. Okay, greetings, Ziad Abbas. Thank you for joining us tonight on Full Circle. Thank you for having me. Well, let's get right into the situation in Gaza. We know already that it's one of the most densely populated um, regions on the planet with nearly 1.9 million people living in just about 140 square miles. Uh, I was reading on the internet, Al Jazeera reported um, near the end of March that there were at least seven confirmed cases of COVID-19 in Gaza. First, Ziad, have you gotten any more update um, since late March on the number of cases at this time in Gaza? Yeah, absolutely. The number is right now around 17 cases in in Gaza Strip, in Gaza Strip and over 2,000 people, they are quarantined. The thing in Gaza right now, the situation related to coronavirus, actually, that all these cases found in Gaza, they are people they retain back to Gaza Strip. They are travelers, actually. So uh, two cases, they were Palestinian workers working inside Israel, and the rest, they came from outside through Egypt, and they came to Gaza, and immediately anyone will enter Gaza Strip coming from outside, they check them, test, uh, testing them, and they are uh, uh, moving them to the quarantine to place, uh, to the quarantine centers. So it, it looks like they've done a good job at actually catching it at the border and keeping it so far under control. To be honest with you, they are trying their best, even with very, very, very limited resources. When you speak about like almost, I know the statistics you have, uh, Al Jazeera reported that 1.9 million, actually, the numbers coming from Gaza, they are already 2.1 million people living in Gaza Strip on 140 uh, square mile. Right now, the, the, the situation in Gaza, I can say they try to handle it because if it will be a little bit out of control, it will be a disaster. Everyone knows that. The international community, the United Nations, even the Israelis, they know that. Many articles in the Israeli media writing about that. If something will happen in Gaza, it will be a huge disaster because for the situation in Gaza Strip. Well, let's talk about that because um, being that the Gaza Strip is so populated, the obvious um, problem that we know of battling this virus is keeping people separated, maintaining safe social distancing. But that is not only the biggest problem there due to the ongoing siege. There's very limited resources. This includes um, not only construction and building materials, which has always been a problem getting through, but also very limited resources in medical uh, medicine, medical equipment, life-saving equipment like the ventilators. Right. So can right. you talk about the medical equipment and the medicine situation in Gaza? Yes. Actually, even this morning, there was an official announcement from the health ministry in Gaza that 
Guess that they have medical supplies, only one third of the medical supplies they need, and they have it only for one month. If this month will pass, they will not be able to take care of any case, coronavirus. And just to mention that, when we speak about the uh, uh, medical situation, guess the strip, for um, 2.1 million people, they have 60 ventilators. According to the reports and our colleague in the ground and other medical mission inside Gaza, they say Gaza will not be able to handle more than 100 cases of coronavirus. It will be, this is their capacity, what they can do with the possibilities they have. At the same time, you need to say like, you have 1,000 900 uh, hospital beds in Gaza Strip, which amount that to 12, uh, 1.2 beds for 1,000 people. Even for other sick people, which they need the hospital, they don't have already the capacity to take care of, uh, of that. Uh, Gaza right now, we need medical official, like for the medical teams, masks and other medical supplies that will help them to do the work, especially continue to do the work. They are testing the people, they are going around, reaching the people, outreach, try to reach to the old people inside their houses. They don't have enough medical supplies to do this kind of work. Even in this situation, you can find some some hope that where where, uh, in Gaza Strip, some cases already recovered since the beginning of the coronavirus. When we speak about like uh, uh, social distancing, I am me myself. I'm a Palestinian refugee. I was born and grew up in a refugee camp. And I understand when you say social distancing, this is a privilege to, to do that. In Gaza Strip, it's not possible to do that. You have like 20 people living in two rooms or three rooms. And especially in the refugee camps, which the majority of the people in Gaza Strip, they are living in refugee camps where they will go social distancing. It's not possible to access that. The other issue is it's washing your hands. All the time we see in the TV here, everyone speak about wash their hands. In Gaza Strip, it's not, it's a privilege to wash your hands because 97% of the water in Gaza is already polluted. In Gaza, when you ask the people, you need to wash your hands each time when you go out or touch anything. You need all the time to wash your hands. It's not possible. And this is a struggle. And this is how the people in in Gaza, when they talk with us and my colleagues, our friends, our partners in Gaza, they they make it like a joke. Come on, it's a privilege and uh, to wash your hands. In addition to that, the, the, the medical situation, when we speak with all the clinics and, and try to distribute as much as we can, and in the beginning of coronavirus, actually, where we took our initiative with our partners there, where we tried to, the, the, uh, we, we distributed hygiene kits to the families, especially marginalized communities, refugee camps and in areas where they don't have the basic needs. When you tell the people you want to have a soap, it's it's expensive the soap to have it. It's expensive to have a clean water in Gaza Strip because most of the people they have they need to buy the clean water. So yeah, we and, could see that just being able to wash your hands, have clean water is not always possible there. Well let me just ask you this because we got all this happening. We already know that it's these conditions are like this before the virus had hit. And we know the Israeli government and the military have long been abusing, killing the people of Gaza, you know, and of Palestine, whether through the controlling of their movements, not letting them pass, not letting them go where they want to or need to, um, but also the destruction of homes, the destruction of villages, um, deliberate killing of and maiming of unarmed protesters. 
and even the bombing of neighborhoods with actual um, aerial bombardment. What right now is the current military situation there? Have there been attacks and um, bombings or has the Israeli military um, decided to take a break for a moment? Look, the Israelis right now, they are playing. This is what we call it. It's like the game. And we, I just want to remind the people that Gaza Strip under the, the siege almost 14 years right now. And that's what they play this game. They make it like very, very, very hard for the people to live in Gaza. But sometimes they open it a little bit, just let something in, get in into Gaza. And this is like back and forth. And in, in addition to that, you have this morning, actually, in the news where some of the Israeli tanks, they entered south of Gaza Strip for like a few hundred meters and coming back. Usually when I speak with my colleagues in Gaza Strip, all the time they speak about the drones and sometimes the Israeli military helicopter in the, in, the, in the sky. At the same time, to the sea, we spoke about the gates, but you have the sea, uh, Gaza, it's on the, on the coast, and the, key, the military ships all over in that area. And when Palestinian fishermen try to go inside like more than two miles to three miles, they are start shooting at them, and sometimes they arrest them. So the military right now, it's calm a little bit, but it's not really calm because you have the drones. People, they can see the drones, they can hear them. They have the military helicopter flying around them. And all the time there are some training, uh, training near Gaza Strip. Everyone in Gaza Strip can hear that. And don't forget, just less than three weeks ago, they bombed some areas inside Gaza Strip. And actually, I, I, I say calm. A calm, it means there is no direct attack bombing on the head of the people. But the military, it's already there in the sky, in the sea, and surrounding Gaza Strip, all Gaza Strip. Yeah, and so all, is, the, uh, all the movement has been always controlled by the air, land, and sea of the Israeli military there. Yeah, absolutely. This is what they are doing, and this is what they are doing for 14 years since they the blockade this this since the siege started and in addition to that you add corona and the consequences to have coronavirus around them and right now and you speak about the poverty there which is really very high and people they are not able to work no income and most of the people i can say in Gaza strip they are living on the support coming from international organizations from united nations to our organization like us right now we have a, we have in the ground with our staff members and our volunteers there where we just try to distribute food parcels to the community there. Tomorrow, actually, Ramadan will start in, in all the Muslim world. But in Gaza, even the people, they say, what we can buy? Nothing. And, you know, the people where they are fasting and the end of the day, they want to have a nice meal. Many, I can say, the majority of the people in Gaza Strip, they will not be able to have really a decent, healthy meal in Gaza Strip because the, the, the economic situation. You have one side, the, 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 the health situation, the other side, it's the economic situation. Lastly, before I let you go, um, Ziad, the reason we had you on the show tonight is because you're going to be a part of AROC, the Arab Resource Organizing Center's Friday forums, where you're going to be one of the presenters and speaking um, with some folks. Talk about uh, what you're going to be talking about and what day people can view that online, because AROC has um, created these Friday night forums to talk about settler colonialism and to talk about um, pressing issues of the time. 
Yeah, it's there are a lot of issues actually. Iraq is organizing amazing uh, a program where we ask the people just go to Iraq, the Arab Resource and Organizing Center website and follow all this uh, program. Me myself, I will speak. I am a Palestinian refugee and I am I am working uh, uh, in Middle Eastern Alliance where we do a lot of work in Gaza Strip, West Bank, Palestine and in Lebanon at the same time as i said the Palestinian refugees and the nakba is coming the nakba is the Palestinian catastrophe what happened in 1948 as a result of that my family they lost uprooted from the villages like uh, other 800,000 Palestinian refugees uprooted from their houses i will be able to talk with others about this subject and go deep around this at the same time we are all the time, and we try to remind the people at the cause of the Palestinian. It's it's the cause. It's long time ago, and the people they need to be aware of that. At the same time, we want the people in United States to understand that the connections between the United States and the Israeli occupation, the colonial system itself, it's connected to each other. Like what happened to the native people in United here in this land, the same what is going on until now. With the Palestinian and this is struggle and how these communities they are uh, 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 struggling and resisting this kind of colonial system. All right, again, that's the voice of Ziad al-Bas, and we thank you very much. He's from the Middle East Children's Alliance, and again, we thank you for all the information that you've given us tonight, and uh, we pray for the best and hope that uh, they can control this virus there and not let it get out of control. Thank you. Thank, thank you for having me. Welcome back. You are listening to Full Circle on KPFA. And that was the voice of Ziad Abbas of the Middle East Children's Alliance. For more information or to get involved with Mecca, visit their website, meccaforpeace.org. And again, we'll have a link to Mecca on our website, kpfaapprentice.org, just after the show. We will also have a link to AROC, the Arab Resource Organizing Center's Friday forums, which Ziad will be a part of coming up these next couple weeks. Now let's get back here to the Bay Area and wrap up the show tonight with a commentary from current apprentice Theodora Atkins as she shares her thoughts on COVID-19 and her current situation. Stay tuned. Take me to the water to be baptized because you see I know that none but the righteous no but the righteous none Take me to the watered cools, child. A pandemic is defined as a global outbreak of a disease. On March 12, 2020, the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 a pandemic, one that I couldn't even imagine would ever come to America. 
A young Nigerian friend of mine graduated from college last year and accepted a teaching position in China. She moved there in January. An email she sent me on January 26th said she had been there for three weeks and was successfully settling into her new life in China. She said it was very cold and sent me four beautiful pictures of the most amazing ice structures I had ever seen. She briefly mentioned the virus had everyone on high alert, stating, I only go out if it's absolutely necessary. And if I do have to go out, I wear a mask. I responded somewhat timidly, be careful. I remember thinking what a horrible time to move to China. That thought differed greatly from the thoughts I remember having at her going away party in December. At that time, I thought what a great adventure to be embarking on. I was so proud and happy for her then. At that time, I had no idea how deadly and far-reaching that disease that once seemed so far away would become. COVID-19 crept up on me like a deadly thief in the night. One day, I'm going about my life business as usual. The next day, I'm in a frenzy trying to figure out how to teach two intro to business classes, two Excel classes, and hold five weekly office hours online. While frantically trying to figure out how to stay alive in a world that has been turned upside down seemingly overnight. And what's worse, my plight pales in comparison to what others are facing right now. There are those who have to shelter in place with an abusive person. There are those who have to shelter in place under the freeway. There are those who have to shelter in place with no food, no toilet paper, and no money to purchase any. There are those who are sick or caring for someone who is sick, or concerned about a sick loved one that they cannot visit or hug. And then there are those that have died. But I am a resilient human being. I've been dealing with another deadly global pandemic all my life. One that seeks to kill your soul and can also result in your death. The belief in the lie of the superiority of some humans and the inferiority of others is an invisible global pandemic and the kind of resilience I've had to develop to deal with that pandemic has helped prepare me for this one. Pandemics are frightening as they are invisible enemies with one purpose only, to destroy you. Neither your willpower, your commands, nor your guns can keep either of these pandemics at bay. These past few weeks, we've all discovered that life as we know it can change in an instant. One lesson I hope we all learn from coronavirus is that there are no superior or inferior human beings. COVID-19 doesn't stop to assess your human value or worth. It can and will attack anyone at any time, regardless of age, gender, sexual orientation, 
nationality, race, ethnicity, your bank account, your social standing, or your pedigree. Unfortunately, when you've lived in a country that questions your humanity at every turn, your life outcomes make you especially susceptible to any crisis, and this pandemic is no exception. It's been said that when America catches a cold, black folk get pneumonia. COVID-19 has made that reality crystal clear. When I die, I'm going to know that I left something for them to build on. That is my reward. You got yours, your money, your parents, and your easy living. My folks got nothing, and they need inspiration 24 hours a day. That's why I'm here. That brings us to the end of tonight's show. Thank you for that insight, Theodora. Our executive producer is Miss M. Our technical director is myself, Free Will and Frank Sterling. Joy Moore is our production consultant. Special shout out to tonight's contributors, Kenny C., Theodora Adkins, and myself, Free Will and Franklin. Please, everyone, protect your health and your humanity. Thanks for listening and stay tuned because coming up next is La Onda Bajita. Thank you.